0: Uh, Welcome to Christ City. Glad that you're here. I know that there's uh, a number of folks for whom this is their first time, folks that are visiting, family. Welcome. Welcome to D.C. Delighted that you're here. Thank you for worshiping uh, with us this morning. Um, Also want to say for us to be praying for uh, Justin, Pastor Justin and Nikki. They are up in Silver Spring ministering uh, to Sister Church up there. Justin is preaching uh, and Nikki is there making sure, you know, he doesn't get sideways with whatever he's going to say when he's not here. Um, so prayers for them, and it's, it's a joy that we're able to uh, bless other congregations and other churches here in the greater D.C. area. So we want to pray for them. Um, I want to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story so I can tell you another story. And here's the deal. Um, so later this week, uh, I am traveling to Peru with uh, my middle son, Elias. Excited about that. Never been there. You can clap. I mean, it's yeah, why not? Yeah, woo, Peru. Um, we are going there We're, uh, it's, a, um, there's a, it's, a, it's a trip that uh, I, Lisa and I have positioned to take with our children in between their 13th and 14th birthdays as part of a rite of passage trip. It took one a few years ago. Some of you that have been around Christ City for a while, you know I took Nathan and we hiked in Denali uh, for a bit and ran into some fantastic trouble. Um, and this one is, is for elias We're going to serve uh, with uh, one of our ministry partners, Pazia Esperanza. Uh, we're going to work with a, a community there that is caring for people that are victims of violence. Uh, and we're going to be surrounded by saints that are facing a great big challenge that they're overmatched for but are moving forward nonetheless by faith. Uh, we'll do a bit of hiking on the Inca Trail and, and all of that. So I tell you that um, to say that... Um, Part of this journey that we're taking is, is for him and for, all, for both of us, frankly, um, to think about what it means to journey well, uh, what it means to take these uh, journeys and these transitions from childhood to adulthood and how to grow from and build on a foundation of uh, identity that is found in Jesus, and Jesus alone. I um, want uh, him and, and me as well to remember that we are a part of a global community of faith. That it isn't just us that are gathered here or even just us that are a part of uh, the churches in D.C. or in uh, North America for that matter, but that we're part of a global community of faith. And also as we hike a a trail that is generations old for us to remember that we are a part of a a historic common humanity and that we're going to see something that has been around since before we were around and that will be around longer than we are. And that that positions us and that locates us in a place of humility. And my prayer is that such a pilgrimage, such a journey might be shaping for him and for me as well. So as we come to mind, if you pray for us. I'll tell you that to tell you this. I was uh, talking with um, a spiritual director and a dear friend of mine, Randy White, about this that's upcoming and we were talking about kind of life transitions. Uh, I kind of feel like I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the um, young sprout sprite I once was, you know, like time keeps moving along. I feel like I'm getting older. I feel at uh, different points, you know, when I like work in the yard or whatever. And I'm like, oh, man, I used to not have to, you know, sort of feel like I got to stretch out before I mow the grass now. Like, what is this? Uh, So I was talking to him about about transitions and life transitions and transitions from, you know, childhood to teenagers to adulthood, as well as, as sort of in adulthood, from one season of adulthood to the next. And one of the things that Randy shared with me when we were talking, he said, life is just simply a series of explorations from a secure base. Life is just a series of explorations from a secure base. And so as we uh, launch out I pray that you'll pray for Elias and I as uh, as we make another exploration from the secure base that is our home and that is our community and our neighborhood and our community of faith and our church but the other thing that Randy said um, when I was talking to him about this is he said you can't move ahead until you leave a place behind can't move ahead until you leave a place behind For the last several weeks, we've been talking about lies and truth and the ways that we combat them. We've all been on a journey these past weeks from the land of lies to the land of truth. And I pray that in some way that we will all have journeyed, if even a little bit, out of the lies that we tell ourselves, out of the lies that we tell others, out of the lies that have been told to us, and the lies that have a hold on us. Our hope in this series of of truth and lies is that we will have made some progress in leaving this land of lie bondage and made our way in increasing measure to the land that is dictated by and determined by God's truth and God's kingdom as embodied in the person of Jesus. Over these six weeks, we've wrestled with a number of lies and tried to match them with a singular truth. We've, we've covered the lie that you are not enough. We've covered the lie that, that you are in control. We've addressed the lie that you are what you do, or that God helps those who help themselves, or that you are alone. And the thread through all of those lies, by the way, is the lie that you can be, or you should be, or you are entitled to be, or you must be, or you need to be your own God. That the thread through all of these lies, it's the same lie that the father of all lies told our ancestors in the garden and has been whispering to us ever since that we read about in Genesis 3. You can be like God. All the lies that we have addressed and that we've talked through, we've, we've sought to match them with the truth. But not just like a, like a propositional truth or a theoretical truth or an argumentative truth, but truth embodied in the person of Jesus. For it has been Jesus that has helped move us from the land of lies and into the land of truth. It has been Jesus that has reminded us that we are enough because Christ is enough, that we don't have to be in control because God has the whole world in God's hands. We have uh, discovered that you aren't what you do, but you are more than your productivity, that you are a child of God, and what you do matters deeply as a child. God helps those, doesn't help those who help themselves because despite our inability to help ourselves, God offered us the greatest help in Jesus and now invites us to help others. Yeah. You are not alone. You are never alone. God's spirit is in you, God's kingdom around you, and God's community embracing you. Today as we close out, I don't have another lie for us to address, but rather a story that, that maybe can help us kind of bookend all of the lies that we've addressed and the ways that a common thread runs through them all. So today I've just got a story. It's a story of one who made this journey, who who lived in one place, one place of lies about who he was and who he could become and what his circumstances were and whether they could or couldn't be changed. It came to he, he, a story of one who came face to face with the Lord of all truth, And the one who told him who he truly was and who he truly could become. The one who told him what he could do if he just followed the Spirit's guiding. The story that we read that was read earlier is the story of Gideon in the Old Testament book of Judges. Now, before we get into the story, just a bit of background. Um, Judges 6 comes to us in this moment in Israel's history where Israel is being oppressed by uh, another empire called Midian. Midian is is an ancient Near Eastern empire. They had been oppressing Israel in uh, in a particularly brutal way. Um, Earlier in the passage, um, we see the the ways that they had been uh, addressing and uh, undressing and brutalizing Israel. Uh, Gideon in the story is an unlikely hero. Gideon is identified as the one who's going to defeat Israel's oppressor, the Midianites. Gideon tests God. He has this sort of weird way to test God. He isn't sure of what God is saying about him, so he offers this test. He puts out like a fleece, and he says, all right, can you make the fleece wet and the ground dry? And God's like, oh my gosh, sure I can. I made the planet, so he does that. And then he's like, wait, 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 maybe something messed up. Like, can you swap it now and like make the ground dry and the fleece wet? And he's like, oh my, you're whipping me here. But he does it anyway. And then Gideon builds an army, which is, he, he doesn't, it's like a weird way to build an army. He, he amasses 32,000 people, and then God's like, yeah, that's kind of too many, and then whittles it down to 300. And he's like, oh, God, you know, I don't know what's going to happen here. And it's with this army of 300 that Gideon defeats the oppressors and restores Israel into a season of independence and peace. And that's the lay of the story. And the piece where we jump in and... Judges six verse eleven, it's it's right before all of that takes place. So let's take a look. In Judges six, beginning in verse eleven, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, that belonged to Joash, the Absarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, "The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." Now, this scene opens up in a curious way, describing uh, both where Gideon is and his location, and also the circumstances surrounding it. Um, Gideon is addressed initially as a mighty warrior, verse 12. It's a curious way to address Gideon, because the truth of it is, there's no indication at any point that Gideon has ever been in a fight, in a battle, an arm wrestling competition, like anything in his life that would indicate that he is either mighty or a warrior. As a matter of fact, when we come across him in verse 12, he's actually hiding. It says that he's threshing wheat in a wine press. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. Anybody want to guess what you do in a wine press? (laughs) Press wine. Hey, there you go. You press wine. But the reason why Gideon has the wheat in the wine press is because he's hiding from the Midianites. Because the wine presses were about waist high. And so that meant that he had put all of his wheat into the wine press and he had pushed it down so that the Midianites wouldn't come and take it from him. And so then he's threshing it, which is to sort of say that you stomp on it so that it separates out the wheat and the chaff so that you can use it for grain and for flour but the wine press isn't over his head it's they're typically sort of waist high so what it means is he has hidden his wheat in the wine press and that he's jumped into the wine press so he can thresh the wheat but the way that he's having to do it is to duck down so that he's not seen and he's hiding and it's into this posture into this place that the Then an angel of the Lord shows up and says, hey, mighty warrior. He's like, what's up? (laughs) Right? This is the context. He stooped down. He's threshing wheat. And he's there because there is a legitimate threat to his life and to his well-being. And when the angel shows up, when the Lord shows up, he's not chastised. Like the angel's like, hey, stand up, bro. What are you doing? Like what kind of, you know, what is this? He's not ridiculed because of it, because God is an end to condemnation. And there may be reasons why we've believed some of the lies that we've believed. Maybe circumstances that we found ourselves in where where we've said, yeah, this is I, I believe this. And yet it's in those moments. That the Spirit, while soberly acknowledging the circumstances, gently nudges us to leave that place and begin making your way towards God's perspective, God's image, and God's imagination for you. Despite the circumstances, God sees Gideon's future, he sees Gideon's potential, and there begins to be a stirring question for us, in what area of our lives is God calling us to become mighty warriors? Verse 13, "Uh, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replies, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, given us into the hand of Midian. I just so appreciate this response and the courage of it. I think we begin to see the first glimmers of this mighty warrior that Gideon is addressed as. There's a tenderness and a pain in what Gideon says. There's a genuine ache in it. If the Lord is with us, he says, then why do I have to thresh wheat in hiding? Where are all these stories of God's triumph that we've heard about as children? Now in this place, with Midian oppressing us for generations now, Why all this pain and why all this violence? Gideon's response is like the psalmist in Psalm 13 that says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will my enemies triumph over me? It's a psalm that he's singing back to the Lord that has just said to him, Hey, mighty warrior, good to see you. Israel's oppressor. As I mentioned, if you go back and read uh, Judges 6, beginning in verse 1, it actually just chronicles the ways that Midian had begun to abuse Israel. They had destroyed their crops. Anytime uh, the Israelites would plant their crops, Midian would come in and either uproot them or squash them so that they couldn't reach full flourishing. It says that they would wipe out and kill their livestock whenever they found it. They, they forced Israel from their homes. They would come in and sack their lands. It said that um, Israel had to go and run into the hills and make their houses among caves. The Israelites were... The Midian's aim was to cripple their economy and their livelihood and ultimately their spirits. Physically, emotionally, and economically, Midian oppressed Israel. George, I, you don't have to go much farther than pulling up the news app on your phone to realize that there are millions in our land today. Or there not. There are 660,000 people that live in Washington, D.C. Over 100,000 of them live at or below the poverty line. Homelessness, it's tough to gauge the number sometimes, but there's around 5,000 of our neighbors experiencing homelessness at any given time in our city. Half of D.C.'s young people don't read at grade level. And that number is astronomically higher for uh, our students of color. 3,500 migrants have been bused f- to D.C. from Texas and Arizona and are just posted up at Union Station right now. Depression tripled during the start of the pandemic and has not come down yet. There's ongoing racial inequity and injustice. I could, I could list on and on. And those are just the global Midians. We have personal Midians. There's heartbreak and and broken relationships and aimlessness and lost jobs and pressure to conform to be something other than who God intended us to be. There are Midians in our land, are there not? You too have probably prayed a prayer of Psalm 13 and saying, Well, God, if this is true, if you are in control of everything, then what happens? Why all this here? There can be sobering and legitimate reasons why we embrace some of the lies that we're not enough or that we have to be in control. If we're going to get out of this spot, then it's on me to move us. There's reasons why we might believe that, that you are what you do or that God only helps those that helps themselves or that you are alone. There may be reasons. And Gideon notes those and he asks, why is this happening? And where are you? Have you abandoned us? Have you left me to be here in this wine press with this wheat, calling me out of my name, making me wonder who I am? Our perspective, it, it, it can, in realistic and legitimate ways, it can get clouded by our circumstances. We, we can forget that God is God. There can be years of dust that show up on, on our lives like dust on a windshield and where we can't quite see clearly. We exchange the amazing purposes of God for the broken lies of the world and we ache and cry like Gideon did and say, God, where are you? Are you really who my ancestors told me you were? God responds. Verse 14. The Lord turned to him. Imagine what that was like, like, just showed up, like sitting on the edge of the press or whatever. Say, hey, mighty warrior, what's up? And then Gideon's like, what do you mean, what's up? Have you seen? I'm, in a, I'm hiding. Like My folks are in a cave. Who are you? And says the Lord turned. I just like, it was like, <laughs> ciao. Or maybe it's a turn to face. Like when you want to say something to somebody that's tender and it's real, where you just sort of bend down and you grab a face and you have something that you intently want to say, and this is what God says. Turn to him and said, go in strength. Go in the strength that you have. Save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I love this response, and I hate this response. God's response to Gideon, he doesn't answer the question. He doesn't say where he's been, doesn't say why anything has happened. God's response to Gideon, it isn't a response to the questions that Gideon raised. Yet it is a response. God doesn't answer why it's happened. God doesn't explain God's self, rarely. God doesn't argue, doesn't defend God. God's not even particularly tender. He just sort of tells him. God simply tells Gideon to go and face the Midians. He says, he just tells him, just go and secure your liberation. And it, what's curious to me and what's interesting, he says, go in the strength that you have and know that I am sending you. You have something, you got something. Go with what you have. Hear echoes of previous sermons that we've heard of Lisa sharing with us about uh, the the young boy that brought his fish and his loaves and said, hey, I'm going to take this because you are enough, because you are enough, because I'm enough in you. He says, go in the strength that you have, and remember, I am the one sending you, meaning that I am the one that's going to undergird you. I'm going before you and behind you and under you and over you, and I'll be your propulsion. I am sending you. Because the thing is, church, Sometimes our healing is not found in the answers to our questions "why," but rather in our taking of those first steps forward without knowing why. So Gideon, he hears, he receives this word, and the Lord continues, verse fifteen. Or Gideon responds in verse fifteen again. Pardon me, my lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. This is the second time, by the way, Gideon says, <laughs> pardon me, I appreciate kind of the moxie there. Like, it, you know, wasn't just the one time, and then sort of, he slunk away. He's like, no, no, hang on just a minute. What's up? And then God says, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you. And Gideon says, man, I'm, I'm like the smallest of the smallest like like why me how me I think that God uses the least and the weakest I think God does this for a couple of reasons one so that it is crystal clear that God is the one that's doing the work and then secondly so that it's clear that God wishes and wills to use anyone which means that God can use everyone you don't have to You have to be a superhero to be a hero. You don't have to have like unexplainable powers to be about those things that seek to write human history. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he said, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God intentionally chooses those that the world overlooks so that it can be crystal clear that God is the one that does the work and secondly, so that All of us can know that we all have a part to play. Verse 16, the Lord answered Gideon. And he just says, I'll be with you. He says, I'm with you. Don't worry about your stature. Don't worry about where you come from or who you think that you are. Let's shed those lies and remember that I am the one that is with you. God is with us as we join God in God's work in the world. Saints, you, you were created for a purpose that is bigger than time and space. Church, I pray that you, don't, that you don't slink back to those lies that others might tell you or that you have believed about yourself. There is a life that God intends for you. There is significance and purpose and freedom, and there are Midians for us to defeat. Listen, even as you hear this or hear sort of Gideon's story, I recognize that there may be spots in it where you sort of say to yourself, yeah, but I'm you know i don't i don't have enough education to address that or i don't have the quite the right voice or i'm too young i'm too old or i got too many bills or i don't have enough money or i don't have this or that and at the end of it what i want to say to you whatever those excuses are whatever are the things that you might match with God's invitation to join God's work in the world what i want to say to you is that what that is is it's a wine press and you're hiding Whatever it is that would that would keep you from moving forward into god 's invitation for you to walk out and walk in god 's kingdom it 's a wine press and you're hiding And what is it that might God be stirring in you? What are the lies that as you shed them it 's not just about shedding lies but believing a truth that the Spirit of God is saying, believe this about who you are and move forward by faith into the The theaters that God is calling you to, to be salt and light, to to bear witness to a God that doesn't leave, that doesn't forsake, that is always with you. That is the invitation. To leave whatever wine presses you find yourself in and to move forward. Knowing that God is with you. Because you can never go to a new place until you leave another place behind. Let me pray for us.